As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the multi-award winning, those are the facts, Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly and joining me today from The Athletic, James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. On today's episode we'll discuss an uncomfortable truth about Spurs' team, which will be starting slowly and our defensive woes, um, and we'll discuss the game in detail. Uh, morning gents. Um, look, I've done some research, I know, all mock me like the school SWAT. I don't normally do much research, I leave that to the likes of Charlie and uh, Jack, I've done some research, and I'm going to lay this on Hang, hang on, I do research sometimes. Oh, I, I, I don't think you do. I think you already know it in your head. Well, life is research, isn't it? Okay. All right. Well, we're 25-odd games in, whatever it is. 25, is it? Let me get it exactly right. 25 league games, yeah. 25 league games in. We've had suspensions. We've had um, injuries. We've had international call-ups. But every team does that. And by now, you are what you are, mate. Okay? Spurs are... What they are at this stage of the season. And they are conceding 1.51 goals per game. Okay? That's what that's the, that's the actual figure. Don't check it, Charlie. It's true. <laughs> I will get now tell you, since the league became a 38-match league, so longer than you two have been alive, I think. No. No, what was right. that? When, that was 95-96 yeah. was All right. the first. So, okay, okay. Well, I, I assume and that's in my head. Under, There's no research there. Yeah, I, I, I assume you're both under 30. So... What's that? 30 years. 30 years. In that 30 years, something over 100 clubs have qualified for the Champions League. The number of clubs who qualified for the Champions League conceding 1.5 goals per game is very easy to remember because it is zero. None. Nobody. Not one club has conceded 1.5 goals a game and qualified for the Champions League. There is an outlier before all this of Norwich City. The nearest was Newcastle's madcap team of 2000. 1-2002, and they conceded 1.3 goals per game. The entertainers, Kevin Keegan and all that. That's not Kevin Keegan, that team. That was all Kevin right. Keegan. Okay, yeah, fine. I Kevin didn't Keegan. research yeah, yeah. that closely enough. <laughs> <laughs> Bear in mind, James, you might be making that up as well. Yeah, so, uh, but anyway, Newcastle conceded 1.3. 
So I put it to you. We we are delighted that Spurs are playing forward-going football. We are thrilled that we're playing on the front foot. But we also want them to do well and win football matches and qualify this year, especially with the change in how the Champions League is going to be organised, to qualify for the Champions League. And I put it to you. In, and I'm allowing for the fact that it's a season in which there's been a lot of goals scored. It's, it's a very high-scoring Premier League this year. They will not do that unless they sort out their defensive deficiency. Now, on top of that, I'll just add the following. Vicario is top of most of the stats for goalkeeping this season. The two fullbacks have been praised to the high heavens. I saw the centre-back pairing this week described as the best in the Premier League. So something is happening at that club. Um, and whether it's a, de a, a refusal to defend or an inability to defend, it is going to cost them unless they're going to break the science of history so far. And a lot of that, I thought, was reflected in the game against Wolves. Speech ends, <laughs> but we've got to defend better. What did you make of the game, Charlie? And you can certainly I mean, respond to what I've just said, because it's yeah, fantastically yeah, yeah, yeah. true. I mean, yeah, that's... 1.5 a game would have them tracking to concede 57 by the end of the season, which is crazy. And also, I've been saying this for weeks, the, the expected goals against is they're one of the worst in the league. Currently, there are six teams worse than them. So they're actually conceding, you know, they should be conceding even more uh, than the, they the have. The goalkeeper got... saves them, doesn't he? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. look, you know, Liverpool have built their title-winning team on that. You, you, you know, part of the chances you give away is informed by how good your goalie is. Liverpool give up a lot of chances partly because they know they've got Alisson and they back him. Or you've got um, a last gasp defender who does the same job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So there's an element of that. But, you know, just to put it in context, Spurs are seven goals, uh, only seven goals better than Sheffield United who have the worst expected goals against. They're 25 worse off than Arsenal who have the best. So they are way, way, way closer when it comes to chances given up to Sheffield United than they are to the best uh, defence of the league. Given Sheffield United are on course to concede, I think it's 100 goals or 99 yeah. goals I think they got up to yesterday. That's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's seven better when it comes to expected goals, which to the uninitiated is basically the quality of chances that you're giving up and tends to be... You know, and, and that's why I've been referring to it the last few weeks. I, I think as well it's important to say... This isn't a kind of hysterical reaction no. to one bad defeat. No, no, We've no. been talking Absolutely about this not. for a long time. The interesting thing with it is as well is that Postacoglu said something earlier in the season that really stuck with me that I haven't really thought of before. He said he doesn't take loads of satisfaction from narrow, undeserved wins because you don't learn anything from them and it's not sustainable. And so after the Everton game in December when Spurs 1-2-1, Everton were the better side. Everton were, were within literal millimetres of equalising at the end. I had the thought, I was like, that didn't feel good, which I could write off in my head a little bit because they were missing tons of players. I think sure. they were, they were, the second half, they were without three of their first choice back four. They were still without Madison, et cetera, et cetera. Then it happened again against Burnley that they, uh, the one in FA Cup win, very narrowly avoided conceding a late equaliser. Happened again against Brentford. Against Manchester United, Scott McTominay had that late header that would have turned a draw into a United win, which now, you know, that would mean they'd be the two teams would be level on points. So this has been coming. There's no getting away from that. Like you can't, and you know, making the comparison with the Brentford game, in both those games, Spurs, you could say, played well from the 46th to the 60th minute. Against yeah. Brentford, that was enough because they scored three times in a kind of madcap blitz. In this game, they did score once, but they also conceded just after that. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think it, it has been a concern for a while. And, you know, that there is this, the mitigation this time again that they're without both their fullbacks 
But I don't. Th- I don't think you can come away from that game. Although some have, but my my the way I saw it, I thought Wolves deserved to be in front at half time. It was hard to say they didn't deserve to win the game, or certainly I don't think anyone could watch that and say, "Oh, Spurs were really unlucky not to win it." And even if you do think that, well, if every game's an arm wrestle, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. Yeah, you know? you, yeah. You're not going to. You're not take Everton, Brentford to an extent, Bournemouth, and this one as a cluster. You know, a four. There is no well. You might you might get lucky and win all four, but it's very unlike. It's not sustainable. I don't think. Um, and it's the, it's it's the nature of the Premier League, isn't it? That whatever slight foibles you have, and of course some of this is based on the fact that we all want them to become much more attacking. They have, and I get that, of course. And and well done, Spurs. It's the right thing to do, of course. Um, and we're not getting stuck into them. We're just, you know, this is not a sniff test. It's not an eye test. It's a fact uh, that they're defending is leaving them with a lot to do in games. Can I just offer um, a, a worrying caveat to that? Yes. Because uh, as much as that is true, and I agree with it, and they are conceding too many goals, and, and this, this is obviously a problem that's kind of developed over the season because early in the season, despite the high line and everything else that was being said up to that Chelsea game, their defensive record was incredibly good. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a problem that's developed over the course of the season. But what I would say about that game on Saturday is Spurs had seventy one percent possession, so they they dominated possession. I mean, I, I mean, you you won't often see a team have as much as seventy one percent possession in a Premier League game. Uh, that no. is a massive number. And how many good chances do they have in that game? Kulishevsky had a few that he probably thought he could have done better with. Is that fair? Maybe. And then the Davis header at the end, which Davis I was sort of contest yeah. actually quite a difficult header, although it looks like an easy chance because he's close to goal. Well, what did you make of the game, James? I mean, the two goals they conceded, I would say, were both down to... Uh, uh, well, I, I would say they were both things that you could kind of point at manager slash coaching staff and say, what's happened here? Because the first... And, you know, I've complained about this a lot over the course of the season... They put every player back to defend a corner every single time. And yet the smallest player on the pitch, and I've had Adam Hurry, football cliches, has confirmed this for me. He's done the research for me. I don't know if I've ruined another <laughs> podcast Charlie's going to record today. I maybe have. The smallest <laughs> player on the pitch has scored a header yes. unmarked on the edge of the 60-yard box. And you have yes. every single one of your players in the penalty area. How on yep. earth? How on earth has, can that possibly happen? And I, mean, and I know the fact that he's the smallest player on the pitch means you're less likely to mark him from the corner. But he's completely unmarked on the edge of the six-yard box, bang in the middle of the penalty area. I wrote down when, it, when I watched the game. I wrote down to, to describe it a single word, perhaps brought back from the nineteen seventies playground. That was poxy, wasn't it? Is their mark in there? Everyone's so, terrified of Craig bizarre, Dawson. Bizarre, and I don't know whether they're or possibly, but I don't know whether they're also worried about the kind of prospect of Vicario getting bullied and the fact that it hasn't happened has kind of thrown them and they've not really known how to react to that, but. As and they I had said, a corner just before as well, didn't they? Very, very similar thing happened, didn't they? And well, they no wolves went short that time, and Spurs were really um, kind of hesitant. It was quite odd, and it's, I think it's Ignori who has the cross. They work it to him, sort of edge of the box, and there's this real like, are they going to come out? Are they not? But he crosses it, and then Richarlison kind of bundles it away. But I think it was quite clever from Wolves because obviously Spurs would have just been expecting another put everyone on the keeper and drop it on his head but they didn't do that and yeah I agree I don't think Spurs really worked out how to defend against a, a different uh, a different type of corner there's two, well there's two things isn't there there's two James there's the set pieces which are clearly troubling Spurs at the moment and these breakaways which we understand are part of the 
the, the, the philosophy of the team. I understand that. But let's, let's just break down what happened there then, because Eve Basuma has given the ball away on the edge of the Wolves penalty area. And look, you're, like, you're, going, you're, you're trying to create a goal, you're trying to make things happen. Then he is more or less level with Joe Gomez when that happens. It's not Gomez that wins the ball, but he's right there on top of him. And he tracks him for 100 yards plus back towards the Spurs goal. Royal comes across, he stands up Neto, but Basuma follows him, and I just don't understand why he surely needs to track that runner who's just run into loads of space. He finds himself in loads of space on the penalty spot again. He presumably can't believe his luck. He's got two goals away to Spurs, where he's completely unmarked in the penalty, like right in the middle of the penalty area. I can't understand why Basuma hasn't tracked him, why he's then decided to kind of go towards the player who's already being effectively marked by Royale. He's followed Joe Gomez all that way, and yet he hasn't then followed him into the penalty area. Now, in the end, it took a great piece of skill by Neto, who's a fantastic player, to get past him. But I felt he needed to confront him a lot earlier, make him make the pass, or go past him and have a chance to bring him down. You can't bring him down in the penalty area. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, maybe. I, 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 I'll, I'll, put it, I'll put it in reverse. If that had been Eric Dyer backing into the penalty area, people would be doing their pieces. I'm not, yeah, though, I think Neto is... Neto's so good. I, I I thought of all the things Royale did wrong in this game, and let's be honest, there were quite a few. Or you know, he he looked very uncomfortable trying to do what Poro does. I thought that wasn't the worst necessarily. Maybe, that, maybe that's, that's being crazy indeed, Charlie. So crazy indeed. I, I, I actually think he's probably not done too badly to stand him up. I mean, the thing is, can I like? I guess a counterpoint to all of this is that we always knew that. You know, this is a process. Angie's going to keep playing the same way, even when he's missing both his first choice fullbacks. Um, and maybe there's an extent to which you just kind of have to take the rough with the smooth. And, and we've accepted z- that to a very large yeah. extent. Yeah, yeah. So I, th- but just zooming out a little bit, because mm. obviously, you know, I wrote about this in my piece about Davis and Royale, because I feel they kind of encapsulate this thing that. That he has a squad, he has a team that can play Angeball, but not a squad yet. And so there are, we've seen it many times this season. Wolves away, in fact, was another game where a lot of these guys, these replacements, just can't play the way Postacoglu wants to play. And so either he's chopping and changing how he plays according to who's available, or he does what he does, which is play exactly the same way. Now, obviously, there are different ways of doing this. He is on the the extreme end of you know, an almost evangelical commitment to his principles. And there are days like this when that pisses people off a little bit because they'd rather a bit more pragmatism. You're not going to get that from him. That's just not going to happen. And so I think you have to accept it and trust that once he has the squad that's his, and rather than it being Emerson Royale and Ben Davis coming in as the alternative fullbacks, it's players he's signed, he's trained up to be able to do this role. In the meantime, it's frustrating, but... You've just got to hope in the long term there's more of a benefit to doing that than saying, OK, we've got Davis and Royale. Let's play a couple of meat and potatoes fullbacks who just run up and down the flank and put in low crosses. But it's, one, it's one game, though. Mm-hmm. If it's one game, are you really going to like... Is that going to completely unpick everything else, all, all the other players? And by the but way, then what if, the, other, then the what, actual inverted fullbacks who have played up to now won't be affected by it because they're not playing. But then what if in the next game, Van der Ven's out and you've got to play a slower left-sided you've got to play Ben Davis there and you say okay well then for just this one game we'll drop deep we'll drop five ten yards deeper I for him and I'm I'm not saying I I totally agree because my temptation would be um you know to be more pragmatic but that's why he's so unique and has been so successful 
because he won't compromise. And there just are going to be days, certainly while it's not his squad, like this. You've just got to hope and trust. Look, if this is still happening, I think, in when it is his squad, then you can say, what's going on? Surely you've got to compromise. But we know he's not going to compromise, and we've loved him for not compromising at other points yeah this just is a reality <laughs> yeah but it yeah is frustrating <laughs> we loved it when they were winning games and uh or, or, or it wasn't the reason they were losing Champions games. League. Yeah. yes yeah but this is too much this is what i've realized over the last year like ba- people as much as they love good football which they do most fans love winning they re- that's the thing they really really love above all else and when it doesn't happen like yes you know chelsea at home everyone was really understanding it was the first setback and it was so no not everybody was really understanding. not everyone yeah no, that's true. quite yeah yeah okay everyone everyone the, the vast majority and fair and fair enough to you, Danny. You you um you weren't happy with it then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, I, I just think that's the reality. And when you look at you know Liverpool's rebuild and things like that, they had grim days uh, as well. But it does it doesn't make it not frustrating. No, no, or and, an and and you you mentioned you know uh, look Liverpool Manchester City they're they're Manchester City are beyond almost analysis. Liverpool and Arsenal they are playing attacking front foot football. But they're not conceding 1.5 goals a game, and maybe that's the next part of this. Um, but but also as a compar- Liverpool and Arsenal had some dark days yeah. during yeah, yeah. their oh. rebuilds. I mean, yeah, yeah. Some well, they both finished periods. eighth under those managers, didn't they? In the first season, maybe of those managers. Oh, Klopp is a bit yeah. different because he did go over halfway through or a third well, of the Arteta way through. Arteta eighth in his first full season as well as his first half season, and they were a hell of a lot worse, a hell of a lot worse than what Spurs have been this season. I do think as well the. That start, the the eight wins, two draws from the first ten games was was crazy, and and maybe you know th- there maybe have been more understanding for these sorts of results. You know, losing at home to Wolves if it had been in the first ten games. I think now people are a bit like, but wait a minute, we've got all, we've got our players are back. We've had a good January window. We're further into the season. Why is this happening? But I guess a bit like what we were talking about with injuries not always being linear progress with someone like Benzincourt. The, the same is true of this sort of project and you know trying to completely change how a team is playing you know that that does take time expectations change don't they and it's just a chance to get champions league football um and they may be blowing it because they won't or can't or for whatever reason don't defend their goal to the same extent as other teams just a thought i don't want to go too deep and get too dark here but oh uh, if they finish Fifth and other teams, other Premier League teams don't perform as we expect in Europe in the second half of the season. Come on, Arsenal. And yeah. that means they don't get into the Champions League or they finish sixth or seventh. And they're in some kind of Thursday night European football next season. Mm-hmm. They're not going to get into the Champions League next season either. I'll tell you enough for nothing. No, I don't think you can say that. I, I think that would be such a big impediment. I, honestly, I mean, it, I think if they can't do it this season... Without any midweek football, and you know Manchester United, Chelsea, Newcastle, all stinking the place out for at least half the season. Yeah, it's definitely. I, 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 I really but... find it hard to see they're going to do it next season without, always... without some kind of. Incre- like, I mean, they'd have to make incredible signings to do that. But I always go back to that May 2022 when Arsenal Spurs had that playoff to get in the Champions League, and it was genuinely billed. And the way it was talked about afterwards was billed as the winner gets Champions League, the loser is doomed to a purgatory of Europa League for life, sort of thing. And like, I'm, I'm obviously being a bit silly, but Gary Neville said after the game basically like Arsenal will never get a better chance to finish fourth. The next season they almost won the title, while Spurs finished eighth. Don't get me wrong, if they don't get 
top four or top five now, it will be hugely frustrating. I think, you know, that's, there's no getting away from that. Not to go all 2022 again, but I do think Spurs will finish fourth. I don't. Th- I think United, like, like with Spurs, you can't keep getting away with narrow wins when you're not playing great. I think United, I just can't see them continuing to get away with this. And and I and I still think Spurs are, are a bit better than Villa. But oh, Charlie, I love you when you're like this. <laughs> James and I were talking about this earlier. That the the reason that Wolves game is additionally frustrating is it does change the complexion of Spurs' season a little bit from looking up to looking down. Had they won, you know, you are looking up and saying, you know, we're still, you know, we're on the coattails of the top three. As it is, you're suddenly looking, worrying about United's result and knowing that the next time you play, especially because Spurs aren't playing this uh, weekend coming up, United can be level on points with them. Those Spurs will have the game in hand. Well, they've got a lot of very early goals this season, Spurs. That's the characteristic. The last few weeks, James, uh, they, they seem to be struggling to get the engine going. And maybe that's to do with getting the team back together again. You know, James Madison is not quite back to the peak that he was at um, before his injury. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. We've said that of Bensinker a few times, so you kind of have to extend that to Madison and I guess Van der Ven, maybe Romero and, you know, whoever else has been out. There's quite a few of them. You know, even players who've been away uh, to international tournaments and in usual circumstances we're kind of citing potential fatigue there but I guess in the shadow of everything else that's happened in the last three months we haven't really mentioned that so that would apply to Son and Sar and Basuma as well yeah I mean it's interesting what you say about early goals because actually that, that that's another thing that in my mind feels like a thing from the start of the season but if you go back through the last few games not in these last two, but they scored in the first like five minutes at Everton. They scored in the first 20 minutes at Manchester United. They scored in the first 10 minutes against Bournemouth. Brighton away, they were terrible. Everton at home, they scored in the first 10 minutes. So, you know, that's what, like kind of five of the last, of kind of six games before the last two, where they have started well, or well enough. I think he was talking, Poscola was talking about the home, recent home games and then you've got Wolves, Brighton... Brentford and City, if you include that one, all of those they yeah. And I suppose that Burnley. Great. I'm just looking at league games. I suppose there's that Burnley and Cup Burnley, game yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, I tweeted this on Saturday afternoon. If you're in a situation where, and I appreciate what Charlie says about he's not being first choice players. If you're in a situation where you're trying to break a team down, and the player who's on the ball the most is Emerson Royal, something is something isn't working with your system. And I know, like, if that's Pedro Porro, then it's completely different because he is then, like, the additional playmaker in midfield where uh, he, he's going to pick a pass or make a run around the outside or will be the extra man in the penalty area or whatever else. But, like, if, if the reality when you put Emerson Royale in the team, in this instance, in this system, is that he's going to be weaker defensively, probably, due to the way he's being asked to play, not due to his actual defensive mm-hmm. ability. And infinitely weaker at the kind of inverted midfieldy stuff. There's a treble whammy, isn't there? And that is that, um, you know, the opposition teams, and Wolves are very diligent, but they're funneling back and forth across the pitch. They're funneling the ball to the player they think is going to be the least effective. But all teams do it now. You pick out from back four or five, who's the one who is the least likely to uh, to, to play a defence-splitting pass? And you make sure that your, your semi-press gets the ball to them. It's like what teams used to do when he played right wing back under Conte. There was a game, New Year's Day 2022, away at Watford. And their their tactic was basically just let force Spurs to play it to him and he'd cross it 
and they'd clear it. It happened again and again and again. And it was kind of obviously different system, but similar thing on the weekend. You know, as James says, they they were very, very happy for him to have the ball in central areas. And he lost it high up the pitch in central areas a few times because obviously it's very different receiving the ball out wide as a fullback to getting it in central areas where suddenly you've got people really closing you down quickly. I don't, I don't know what the solution is system. there, by the way. No, but, no, no. Uh, like, whether you, like, stick Scar... Uh, Scar? Stick Scar at right back. Uh, and, or skip. Uh, or Dragushin. Yeah. Or Dragushin. Yeah, yeah. Dragushin's well, I mean, the things we've heard about Dragushin is his passing's not that great. That's so true. So I, I don't yeah. know. That, but, but whatever, like... I don't know, it kind of feels like that's... A, if you're around Postacoglin and you spent the entire year thinking... At some point, Pedro Porro is going to miss a game. What am I going to do? And you know, if you're getting paid a lot of money to be manager of Tottenham. You should be like working out what you're going to do in that situation, given how much Porro has played and how important he's been. And your solution is this thing that I think most people could have told you is going to cause you big problems at both ends of the pitch. And again, this isn't a criticism of Royale. He, uh, no, he's just not suited to playing. He is in that what system. he is. Yeah, it's yeah. like it wasn't the criticism when he was playing at right wing back and he couldn't do that either. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, he's been incredibly yeah. unlucky. He's come to this football club, who don't just want to play a normal <laughs> fucking right back. It's crazy to think that he started the first league game of the season. Yeah, um, Emerson yeah. Royale he scored. Por- Poro was. An- I was bewildered. Yeah, he scored. Yeah, I was bewildered I mean, by po- that. But you know, po- Poro Poro is an un- an unused sub popping up in the Poro zone. Listen, um, <laughs> again, you're right to say it's one game. Um, the overall defensive issues are more than one game, and that's why I started the show the way I did. You, you Let's not hide, put our head in the sand just because we love the way Spurs have tried to change the way they play this season. And, of course, it is that defensive frailty that threatens the Champions League place that they have still got very good chance to, to, to achieve. Uh, the defensive stuff was bad, and you know I mind about the way they conceded those two goals. Uh, and uh, there, there are obviously big problems there with both of them. Or one of them's kind of systematic, I guess, but there's clearly a big problem with the way they're defending set pieces at the moment. I was way more frustrated with how they attacked and a lack of variation in their mm. attack. And, you know, similar to the thing about chucking every player back for uh, to defend a corner, I'm going to keep going on about this till I'm blue in the face. It's amazing how rarely they go around the outside. It is amazing how rarely they do it. And you've got Brendan Johnson and Timo Werner on for the last however long half hour of that game. And how often did even one of them like even try and go around the outside? And I know Wolves are going to try and stop them doing it, but uh, there were definitely there were definitely moments where, uh, and I'm not picking on Werner, there were definitely moments where he could have gone and just pulled the ball across. Like, you know, and you end up in a situation where before that, and this is a separate point now, you've got your best midfielder, your best playmaker, your most creative player. James Madison constantly dropping off to come and get the ball. He's like on the halfway line. You've got Son right out on the byline where he isn't going to score a goal. I, I, you know, I don't know. But there's so many things from an attacking sense I watched. I saw in that game. It, it wasn't clicking. Charles couldn't hold the ball on this occasion. It just wasn't clicking. You're absolutely right. Uh, Kulisewski's made a big uh, mea culpa afterwards about missing the chances he made. But the 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 point about it was they were the only real chances Spurs made till Ben Davis's um, misplaced head in the last minute, really. They, they've got two weeks now before they play Crystal Palace. Um, that's not a good thing, by the way, in my mind. But what should they be doing in that time? One of the questions we'll be asking after the break here on The View from Lane, where you're listening to me, Danny Kelly, James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. <laughs>
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, everybody, welcome back to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly, still sunny disposition, as you can hear. Um, Charlie Eckershire and James Moore are with me as well. Yeah, one more thing before we carry on. I don't make any apologies for this, and if uh, you've got requests, I'll do them as well. Um, I need to do a shout-out. Edith Robinson uh, is a friend of a very good friend of mine, and she's 50 this week. She won't mind me saying that. For 40 of those 50 years, she's been a Spurs season ticket holder, tries to get to the away games and the European games when they're around as well. Um, one of those people who just is so devoted to Spurs that it would be wrong to let her 50th birthday go by without mentioning her. So, Edith, happy birthday and up the Spurs. Charlie, you went to a proud Lily White's event during the week. Yeah, last Thursday, there was an event they put on at the sta- at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium celebrating 10 years. And yeah, I just wanted to shout out Chris and all the all the team, uh, the, the great work they do at Proud Lily Whites. It's, yeah, for those who don't know, it's the supporters group for the LGBTQI plus um, supporters and, you know, but everyone's, you know, it's for everyone. And I found it really inspiring. I mean, something that was said during it was, you know, when you think just how much football gives you and gives all of us and the idea of someone not being allowed to do that because of something like their sexuality is just so ludicrous and so unfair. And yeah, it was just really uplifting stories of people who had fallen out of love with the game because they didn't feel comfortable going to matches and have now found uh, a community. And so, yeah, I just wanted to shout them out. And, and they're such a credit to the club. Uh, and, you know, it's great that, the club you know puts on events like this and celebrates them and that it matters to them as well um because they really are one of what one of the leading fan groups for this kind of thing here here absolutely um joe tongue former guest on this very program, she was there as well yeah she, she, she was going on about just how um you know how ma- fantastically comfortable people can be made to feel with, with very little effort by everybody else so thank you for reminding us about that charlie um everybody should be able to go to football and enjoy it obviously and that includes the rest of us watching Spurs as well, all of us watching Spurs. A couple of weeks now, James, to put this into some kind of uh, relief and, and, you know, beat a Crystal Palace team. Goodness knows, and we all wish Roy Hodgson the best for his health, obviously. Goodness knows who'll be in charge of Palace or what kind of football they'll be trying to play. Um, but that's irrelevant at this stage. What, what, what should Ange be doing? He was pretty combative afterwards, of course. He always is. About, um, But I was interested in his words... <coughs> I'm not a magician. I'm a football manager. 
how quickly Spurs managers get around to I'm not a magician. <laughs> um, you know, the magic circle must be de- must be decimated because nobody from who manages Spurs can ever join. They they've got two weeks now that Porro will definitely be back. I think. I don't know what the situation with the doggy is. Um, and they were playing against a Crystal Palace team who, if they lose Monday night, will be in desperate straits. So I guess it. they'll say, let's just do what we do better. Is that the, the modern way, James? I mean, I yeah, I, I would defer to Charlie on those two injuries. I mean, from what Postacoglu said before the game last week, it sounded like there was a possibility they would both be back. Yeah, it's he. The way he was talking sounded like he was pretty confident with Udogi and reasonably confident that Poro would be back. I mean, if that's the case, and other players in that squad are better rested further down the line in terms of in terms of rehabilitation and whatever else, I, I mean, actually, without changing that much, I think it, it could feel very, very different. I do. Th- I, I know you said before the break there, you were unhappy with the, with the two-week gap. I actually think it's perfectly timed for Spurs now. I mean, it would have been better for it to have been <laughs> this weekend. It's more me who wants to see them play again, to be oh, fair. God, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure I feel the same way after oh. that on Saturday. Um, no, it feels, to me, it feels like a very well-timed break. And if I had scraped another fortunate, uh, undeserved win, actually, that would have been incredibly useful. It would have been uh, a, a massive boon. But... Uh, yeah, I, I don't think they're really that. You know, having complained about <laughs> the way they've attacked and the way they've defended, like like realistically, there's not a whole lot you can change, and not a whole lot that will change. And purely on the basis of players being a bit arrested and, uh, like I say, being further down the line in terms of recovery, I think I, I would expect to see a massively improved performance, a bit more dynamism. I mean, uh, the one, but you know, Saar, Basuma. Son, the ones who've come back in these intense and, of course, in in and in, in intense conditions. The games were played, particularly in the Afcon, in in- incredible humidity. Um, first thing I say, them and emotionally yeah, as well. By all, them, by all yeah. means, come in, put on your tracksuit and your flip flops, but don't be chasing around like a maniac for the first next three or four days. Spurs need to be in a situation where perhaps I can play every minute of every game, basically. Uh, like I think. Uh, Tactically, this may not be true, but I think in terms of like energy and sort of progressing the ball up the pitch, uh, in, like the quality of passing, the, the kind of diversity of passing, he is the player that makes the most difference, particularly in a game like that. And I mean, what point did he go off on Saturday? Like seventy-five minutes, maybe. I can't think that around right. that. Yeah, but uh, uh, it, you know, it felt like they had no chance of like picking the lock after he went off. And, you know, that's still with Madison and then the Celso later on the pitch. It, he is massively important and clearly he's still kind of feeling his way back in after the injury he had and then going away for AFCON. And if, you know, if he can have a nice week off this week, you know, go somewhere nice and just kind of chill out, relax a little bit and then come back for a week of presumably ludicrously intense training next week. And then- I think it's all going to be, I mean, this week and next, it's not going to be... Uh, they're not going to have I mean obviously they'll have days off um, but yeah I think it's going to be two weeks of pretty hard training yeah 71st minute he went off Um, but yeah I I agree I think like the the idea that they can some of these players can recover and recuperate a little bit after those international tournaments the the magician thing as well just to put in context a little bit he was asked are there any psychological tricks that you can pull so what there was in the question, there was a little nod towards magic as he well. But make, even so, it did feel it did feel eerily familiar of context when I heard when I first heard make it. Make Timo Werner spend these two weeks in a box suspended by London Bridge or whatever it was that David Van did <laughs> that time. 
bizarrely, for what was a huge public event, I think it's become quite an obscure memory, James. You're talking about when David <laughs> Blaine, the um, yeah. the uh, the magician, um, hung hung inside a glass box suspended underneath London Bridge for about two weeks. I went to see him. I met Paul McCartney's so manager there. Did yeah. you? I went to see what was, was going uh, on. Um, and it was like September 20, uh, 2003, wasn't it? It's when I first moved to London. That's, I think, maybe why I remember. Um, listen, it's been an absolute joy, despite the result, which really uh, didn't depress me because, you know, football, everyone can win and lose a football match. The manner of it, I found a little bit scaldy, and that's why I wanted to bring up that defence. And they can train for the next two weeks to just be a little bit more efficient defensively without, without I don't think, look at the top teams, you have to give away any of your attacking energy just to make sure you don't, you know, have um, people who are five foot four heading the ball in from the penalty spot, things like that. Thank you, James. Thank you, Charlie. No thanks, David. Um, just to remind you, the show has its own official home on X or Twitter at VFTL Podcast, or you can email us VFTL at theathletic.com and for the best Spurs coverage anywhere, um, often much more well-researched than uh, I do. Um, you can just go to The Athletic and sign up for a hugely fantastic offer just now. One ninety nine a month for just 12 months. Simply go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod subscribe. It is through gritted teeth that I tell you that because we've got no midweek game, we're only doing one podcast this week. Apparently, I am too expensive to pay for non-match weeks. Um, so we'll be back uh, next Monday with another View from the Lane. Thank you for listening. God bless you all and up the Spurs. The Athletic.